While he's away, we're going to be thinking about the church. Three weeks on what is the church? And we're beginning in 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2. As Laurie mentioned earlier on, uh, one of the passages that this section here is drawing on is Exodus chapter 19. You might like to test your memory a little bit and see which parts of Exodus 19 are coming through here in 1 Peter 2. And several other places are quoted as well. 1 Peter 2 and verse 4. As you come to him, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray for God's help together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your living and active word. We thank you for what it shows us about the Lord Jesus Christ, and particularly this morning, what it shows us about the glory of being your church. Help us to understand it. Help us to believe it. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's early morning and the alarm goes off and in your groggy state, you think, it's Saturday. Uh, no, that was yesterday. No, it's Sunday. Church. And your heart, what? Finish that sentence. Does your heart leap? Does it soar or sink? Maybe somewhere in the middle. Where are you when it comes to church? It would be understandable, wouldn't it, if some of us are struggling a little bit to get enthusiastic about church. There's the ordinary stuff. Uh, someone's offended us. Someone's frustrated us. Or, or maybe we're worn out from being on one too many rotors. Or we're struggling with the weight of leadership responsibility in our ministry area. Or we feel like we're being torn between the competing demands of work and family and church. Maybe we have someone at home who would rather we didn't come to church. And then there are the pressures of this particular time in 
in our life as a church, months of lockdown, making church uh, an effort, a church on YouTube, small groups on Zoom, that was hard work, wasn't it? And you throw into that a building project, really exciting on one level, but tiring in another, hauling yourself over to a school hall for months on end, so it's a, a team of people setting up and setting down and setting up and setting down, chairs out, chairs away, week after week after week. And while you're getting up and setting your alarm and going off to church, your neighbors are sleeping in, oh, for a lion. And maybe you're the only churchgoer on your road. And your colleagues, they think it's kind of quaint and cute that you still go to church like you're part of some sort of historical reenactment society or you're lovably or just weirdly weird. Alarm goes off, wake up, it's Sunday church. Oh. Well, look, spare a thought for Peter's readers here. He's writing to Christians in what is now Turkey, and they're finding out how hard it can be to be part of a church, how unpopular it can make you. So look down with me, would you, at 2 verse 12. Middle of the verse, when they speak against you as evildoers, right? So that's the sort of thing that was happening. Or uh, flick over, if you like, 3 verse 16. 3 verse 16, when you are slandered, see that, middle of the verse? Or 4 verse 4. They malign you, end of the verse. So to all of the usual challenges of church life, now we need to add abuse from the neighbors. How did they feel when their alarm went off on Sunday morning? And what is it that could make them leap out of bed with joy in their heart and rush along to church anyway? And one of the answers is 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you're feeling a little bit jaded, this is for you. Two truths about the church to make my heart sore. Verses 4 to 8. Firstly, the church is God's glorious project. We are, of course, very familiar now with the language of building projects, and you'll have heard that language running through those verses, verses 4 to 8. So have a look with me. Verse 5, for example, we're told that a house is being built made of stone. We're told a cornerstone has been laid there in verse 6, that the central stone, verse 6, despite, verse 7, complaints from the neighbors, right? So far, so run of the mill. But what kind of house is it? Verse 5, a spiritual house. And what kind of stones? Verse 5, living stones. And what kind of cornerstone? It's the risen Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, Peter's readers may have been a mix of Jew and Gentile, but there will have been many Gentiles in his audience. You don't, though, have to be Jewish to understand what house Peter is talking about here. The spiritual house in the Old Testament was the temple, and for the Jews in the Old Covenant, the temple was their pride and joy. We, we can take pride in buildings, can't we? Whether it's the Houses of Parliament or Sydney Opera House or the Taj Mahal, we, we take pride in our building here. Uh, I've had uh, some friends visit the area over the last couple of weeks, and I've loved bringing them in, just letting them stick their head around and saying, look what's happened. It's great. We can take pride in it. Siobhan and the team absolutely can. But of course, Jewish pride in the temple was of a different order, wasn't it? Because the temple was a building unlike any other building. And not so much uh, because of what it was. Impressive though it looked, the uh, giant stones and towering columns 
but whose it was, whose building it was. Imagine the conversation. Ah, says the Greek, we have the Parthenon and the Acropolis. Okay. But we have the temple of the living God. Our hanging gardens are the wonder of the world, says the Babylonian. Yes, but our temple is the wonder of the cosmos. The temple claimed what no other building truly could, the, the only place on earth where the sovereign creator God had placed his name and presence. The God of Exodus 19, the God who descends in glory and thunder and lightning and whose presence and glory makes the people tremble. This God makes his presence felt and known in the temple. At the place where years later, under King Solomon, the glory of the Lord had descended from heaven to earth with a cloud so thick with heavenly glory that even the priests, even the holiest people on earth, dared to approach. The holiest space on earth, named and claimed and indwelt by the living Creator God, the holiest being on earth, a being of such intense glory and perfection and holiness that even the angels dared look at Him. A building like no other. And then, you know the story? Israel's sin led to exile, and the glory departs, and the temple is destroyed. But here we are now with Peter. He's writing to this group of Gentiles meeting in someone's living room, and it's as though he reaches through the pages. He points at this ragtag group of Christians, and he says, God's new temple, God's new dwelling place, the place where God is building now on earth for his living, is you. It's an astonishing thing to say. And it is what he's saying, isn't it? Did you see verse 4? Verse 4 of chapter 2. As you come to him, that's the Lord Jesus, as you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are being built up as a spiritual house. All over the world, God was including men and women, boys and girls, in the glorious church he was building. And he's still doing the same today. Just look around. A couple of hopefully obvious implications here. First, that God's temple, the church, is made up of people and not of bricks. I hope that's obvious to us already. Uh, one uh, writer recounts a time that their family was walking along to a church service, and as they rounded the corner, their son said, look, uh, people are going into church. And the writer's wife replied, no, the church is going into a building. That's right, isn't it? Uh, we call this space here the auditorium, and that's good because it isn't the church. The church is you. It's us, those who belong to Christ, those who belong to Jesus. For a while there, our church was meeting in a school, but it was no less the church, no less the dwelling place of God. And this lovely space is fantastic, isn't it? But it's going to get scuffed up, and bits are going to sometimes break, and it won't be perfect. And that's fine. Because this building isn't the temple. It isn't the sanctuary. It isn't God's house. God's house, incredibly, is us. God dwells wherever the church is and meets and then notice, too, that if you are a Christian, you are part of God's capital C church, that is, the people of God throughout space and time. And depending on your experience in the past of local churches, you may not really feel that you belong to it, but 
God says here that you do. Whatever your background or your accent or your salary or anything else about you, if you've come to Christ, you belong to God's church. You are part of it. And the way we express that is by joining churches like this, local expressions of that universal church like this one. The Bible commands us to do so, doesn't it? To not give up meeting together, which can be tempting when we find church frustrating or we envy our neighbor's lion. And the Bible has no category for a churchless Christian. And the person who opts out of being part of a local church may not be a Christian for very long. And when we realize the sheer privilege of being part of the church, why on earth would we want to opt out? This is God's gloriously holy temple building project. It's holy and it's unstoppable. You know the received wisdom with building projects is that they'll always take longer than you think. Uh, maybe it's a lack of funds. Maybe it's um, I don't know, communication breakdown with contractors or whatever. Uh, maybe it's opposition. Uh, a neighbor's complained about the proposed height of your wall or the length of your driveway or whatever it is. Building projects can often cause friction. But God's building project in the Bible has been opposed at every single turn. We've got worked examples in the Old Testament. Just read through Ezra or Nehemiah. And the opposition comes to a head, of course, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes. And his enemies think, well, if we kill the cornerstone, we'll kill the project. And that plan seems to work for all of three days. At which point Jesus rises from the dead. At every stage of human history, Satan has tried to stop God building his temple, his church. He's used hostile kings and governments and ideologies and hostile religions. Anything to trip God up. But did you see who stumbles when they try, verse 8? Is it God who stumbles? Does the church stumble? No, they do. Verse 8, they stumble. No one can stop God building his church. The Lord Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. I will build my church. They couldn't stop him when he was on earth. They can't stop him today. And today the church of God grows and grows and grows. And the reason for that in the end is because it's God's. You see that running all the way through our passage? It's God's. Who is it who chose the cornerstone of the building? Verse 4, God. Who laid the cornerstone as an immovable foundation? God. Who builds the house on that cornerstone? Verse 5, well, we have a part to play, but it's God. Look, I hope you feel that you belong to this church. Even if you're quite new, I hope you feel that you belong here. I hope you feel that the church belongs to you and you belong to it. But, you know, ultimately, this isn't my church or your church. It's God's church. Every local church that meets in Jesus' name belongs to him. It's his temple. It's his dwelling place. It's his project. And no one and nothing is going to stop it. Is this what you see when you look at the church? Can you see its glory? There's a story told about Sir Christopher Wren, the famous architect, who was commissioned to rebuild St. Paul's Cathedral after the Great Fire of London. And one day... He was visiting the construction site, and he approached uh, three bricklayers on a scaffold, and he asked them what they were doing. And the first replied, I'm a bricklayer. I'm working hard laying bricks to feed my family. 
uh, Ren asked the, the second bricklayer the same question, and the reply came back, I'm a builder, I'm building a wall. But the third, the most productive of the three, smiled and said, I'm a cathedral builder. I'm building a great cathedral to the Lord Almighty. God is making something far greater even than a cathedral. He's building a holy temple for his dwelling, and he's chosen us as his living stones. What a privilege. So firstly, the church is God's glorious project, and then secondly, it's God's glorious people. Here we're really zoning in on the people, the identity and calling of the people that make up the church. Verses 9 to 12. God's glorious people. Uh, knowing who you are and where you come from is a big thing, isn't it? My parents and I spent a few days of our trip to Australia scouring Tasmania for signs of uh, long-lost ancestors. Uh, celebrities go on shows like Who Do You Think You Are to find out who they're descended from. It's fun to watch, and my, my favorite examples are always when someone respectable goes on there and finds they're descended from a line of crooks and bandits. But in, uh, in 2016, uh, Danny Dyer, Danny Dyer of EastEnders fame with full EastEnders accent was told that he had links to no less than William the Conqueror and Edward III. I imagine he hasn't stopped talking about it since. Imagine his surprise and then his sense of pride puffing out his chest. I come from royalty. He later described the news as massive. <laughs> well, it is, I suppose. Peter here is telling his readers who God thinks they are. It's about a line of descent. These terms are all taken, or most of them are taken from Exodus 19, but all of them from the Old Testament somewhere. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession, all descriptions of Old Testament Israel, now applied to New Testament, New Covenant Christians in Christ. And as they heard it, their chests must have swelled with joy and pride. First, to hear that they are God's priests. We skipped over that earlier, didn't we, when it was mentioned in verse 5, that where Peter was, if you like, mixing his temple metaphors. He, they're both they're living stones in the building, and they're holy priests serving in the building that God is building. And being a priest has to be the best job in the world. Think of the place of work. Forget Google Towers or whatever it is, or the 678th floor of the shard. The, the place into which you take your lanyard and your pack lunch in the morning is the dwelling place of the living God. As people see you go to work, they marvel at what you get to do, where you get to work. And think of the boss, the Lord God Almighty. Think of the job satisfaction. To be God's spokespeople in the world that he made. Imagine the school reunion. Oh, so what do you do? Well, I, oh, I work in finance these days. That's a good job. Or uh, I'm a CEO. Or, well, I'm, I'm an astronaut, actually. I'm a priest of the living God. The sheer privilege to be chosen by God to be his servant, to represent God to the people and the people to God, to declare God's glory to the world that he made. Now, who is Peter talking about here in chapter 2? Is he talking about pastors? Not just pastors. Every single Christian. As you come to him, verse 4, all who've come to Christ. I wonder whether you knew that. Did you know that your conversion 
was also your ordination into God's priesthood? Sometimes, and you may find this hard to believe, I come across someone who is clearly far too impressed with the title pastor. I can think of someone from another church who spoke to me with such deference, he might as well have been bowing while he did it. And he would say things like, oh, I'm nobody, but, but Simon, you must have such special access to God. I'm nobody, but your prayers must be so powerful. You must know God so well. God must be so pleased with you. You have such a wonderful purpose in your life. And at first, you know, it gives you a bit of a tingle to the ego. Think, oh, maybe, maybe I am really important. But go and tell your friends. And you think, no, come on. I mean, you've got me wrong. You're far too impressed with me. You just need to get to know me. But I also wanted to kind of grab him and shake him. I didn't, you'll be pleased to know. To grab him and shake him and say to him, brother, you're a priest of the living God. He's chosen you to be a representative on earth. You've been called to declare his praises to the world. Your life couldn't have a more glorious privilege or purpose. You get to pray to him and sing to him and enter his presence with confidence and joy whenever you like. Brother, sister, we're priests of the living God. What a job that is. What a calling to represent and serve the King of Kings. Oh, I'm just, a, I'm nobody. I'm just a lowly office worker. You're a priest of the living God. My life lacks direction. I don't know what I'm doing or where I'm going. You're a priest of the living God. I have nothing to be excited about day to day. God has chosen you in Christ to be his royal priest, to declare his praises to the world. And yeah, that's what we're doing together this morning, isn't it? We're declaring his praises to him, to each other, to anyone who'll listen together. When we sing, we're a priestly choir. We are priests at prayer. We're priests of the word. We're priests of Almighty God. If you're a Christian, this is how you should see yourself. We should see each other this way. We should honor each other, value each other as the most privileged people on earth, God's priests and God's possession. God's possession, see that in verse 19. This is what we were thinking about earlier. A people for his own possession. It echoes Exodus 19 verse 5, my treasured possession, or in the NIV, God's special possession. Out of all the peoples on earth, the apple of his eye is the church. What a thought. I don't know whether you had an answer to that question earlier. You know, if you had to run into your house and rescue one thing, what it would be. What is the most precious thing to you of everything you own? Let's, let's exclude people, just talk about things. What would it be? Of course, we're here talking, aren't we, about the one who owns everything. Everest is his. Saturn and Jupiter are his. He has creator's copyright on everything he's made. But when he surveys everything he's made, everything he owns, his treasured possession, is the church. And it's not because the church is particularly lovable. I mean, that duck was very lovable, wasn't it? But it's not saying here that the church is especially lovable. It's saying that the church is precious to God because God has chosen to love it. We're often very unlovable, aren't we? We can be sinful and rebellious and wayward and disappointing. We can hurt each other. We can let God down. If God's love for me was based on my lovability, how long would he love me? But look at verse 10. Why are we his treasured possession? 
because of his mercy. He saw us in our sinfulness and he chose to love us. He chose to send his, send his son to die for us. And then he called us as individuals, but then together he washed away our sin and he made us a new people, his holy people, his treasured possession. And you know, in a world which is so hungry for identity and purpose, and for an identity and a purpose that's solid and won't move and isn't based on your own performance, what extraordinary news this is for the Christian. If you're not a Christian, don't you want in on this? Wouldn't you love to know that you are God's treasured possession? He's inviting you to come to Christ by faith and join the extraordinary thing he's doing here. As we close, let me ask again, if you're a Christian this morning, where is your heart when it comes to church? His holy temple, his unstoppable project? How do you feel this morning about being a priest of the living God and joining with his treasured possession? When the alarm goes off on a Sunday morning, does your heart sink or does it soar? Can you feel the awesome privilege of being part of what God is doing all over the world? When you sit in the Bible study and he's going off on one again about his latest hobby horse and she's drifting off to sleep and it all feels a bit small and a bit embarrassing, do you see what God sees? The glorious temple of the living God. That is who we are. That is what God has made us and called us to be. So let's live like it. Let's live with a sense of wonder at all that God has called us to be. Let's be his church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the glorious calling uh, that we've received from you. We recognize that it is all of mercy this isn't like picking teams in the playground. It's not the best get picked first. You saw us in your sinfulness, in our sinfulness, sorry, and you called us to the Lord Jesus, and we thank you so much for it. And Father, we pray that you would fill us with a sense of joy and wonder at the extraordinary calling you've given us, the amazing privilege of being part of this amazing temple that you're building in the church and being one of your glorious people. Please help us this week to live this out. Help us to declare your praises to each other and to the world. Help us to live differently in the world that you've made. And help us to live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.